Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Wednesday night, everyone. That means it's time for another edition of Finsider Radio. Uh, my name is Keith. I'll be your host for the next hour. With me, as always, my good friend and uh, loyal co-host, Duke. What's up? And I'm much, man. Good. And uh, we're with uh, angrier than usual, Lewis, who is a, um, a special brand of smart ass tonight. I can't wait to hear what he has in mind. How are you doing? I am angry. Or not. Depends on what you want me to be. You- I was going to say, right now you don't sound angry. I'm sure that will change once we get into the actual topic. But a uh, lot to talk about this week and a little bit of a change in tone from what we were discussing uh, just one week ago. Dolphins played the Titans last Sunday. It pretty much beat them to death uh, to the point where you saw some stuff come out in the press this week where apparently we were too physical, which would mark the first time I've ever heard anyone called Miami Dolphins too physical. That felt good. I don't know the how valid that story is. I don't care. It smile. So a nice thirty-eight to ten beatdown on the Titans, um, winning by four touchdowns in two weeks after this team was a, an absolute embarrassment across the pond um, against the Jets. Uh, what changed? Well, the extra baggage in the coaching department changed. Joe Philbin out. Dan Campbell in. They go ahead and they give Kevin Coyle the boot because his defense is sucked anyway, and he was completely mismanaging the talent. I will say that. So now you got uh, a Lou Anarumo in there. And um, funny how a few changes can make such a, such a big deal because the Dolphins came out on Sunday looking like – I mean, you can go ahead and insert whatever cliche you want, whatever analogy you want. I thought those guys came out and just absolutely took it to them. Uncaged animals is what I'll call them. It was awesome. I haven't seen those guys come out with that kind of mentality in who knows how long. Now, I'm not saying that this is going to happen every week. There's something that uh, it could be a honeymoon period between Campbell and his, uh, his new team as he's the head coach. I don't know, but to a point – where um, gets to a point where um, sorry, I had a couple of distractions there, where you can look at the coaching staff and you see them 
change that differently in terms of a mindset and an approach in two weeks. Suddenly, they used the running game. Lamar Miller looked the best he has in ages. I apologize uh, again there for uh, my mic cut out for a second there. Uh, and the other thing I want to point out is the fact that the defensive line, especially Cameron Wake, looked so good after earlier this season looking so bad. So while there may be a honeymoon period, there might be other stuff going on. I don't know. Time will tell. But what I do know is that when you make a coaching change like that and suddenly you're running the ball better, you're getting more production out of guys who usually you're accustomed to getting great production out of and you haven't seen it from them as much, it is okay to blame the coaches. So I think that what happened last night invalidated the uh, Dolphins' uh, decision to move on from Philbin and company. It's something they should have done last year, maybe sooner. It's too bad that uh, it took this long to figure it out, but alas, here we are. Uh, what did you guys think? about what went down on Sunday because while you, I'm sure all of us would agree we expected more intensity from this team, you can't tell me you expected that. There were, there, there were two plays that kind of highlighted the kind of a change in philosophy or highlighted the whole afternoon. The first one was a uh, first quarter run, I think it was on the second drive by Lamar Miller, um, I don't remember how, how many yards. But he runs to the right, uh, Pouncy and Turner are out there blocking for him. And he gets toward the sideline. The old Lamar Miller uh, runs out of bounds there. He did not run out of bounds. He actually he actually kind of slowed up, looked for contact, and, and, and took a hit and tried to gain a few extra yards. Now, he didn't get many yards, but the fact that he attempted it was something I've never seen from him. Um, you know, not that he tries to drive the pile or anything, but usually when he would reach the sideline, he would just step out of bounds. So that was refreshing. The other play that I thought that was kind of encapsulated the whole deal was it's a two-minute warning. It's third and eight from the 12-yard line. Everyone and their brother expects the Dolphins to run the ball, run the ball, um, you know, maybe even on fourth down, just turn over on downs. And... um and um, they throw for a touchdown there. And it wasn't even a – I'm sorry. It was something that with with this team, with the way they're playing right now, I thought that Sunday – that was the first time I've seen them this season look the way we expected them to play prior to the season. When you had the whole hype train going with these guys, uh, we were all excited. There was a lot going on, obviously, uh, the addition of some really impressive free agents and whatnot, and you just haven't seen it. I thought that Sunday was the first time where I was like, oh, right, that's how these guys were supposed to look. As far as I'm concerned, um, uh, these Dolphins have been de-energized, repassionated, which is not a word, but I just made it one, Um Dan Campbell breathed, breathed. Dan Campbell breathed life back into these Dolphins when just when you thought that nothing could have saved them. Uh, obviously, it's too early to tell. This is going to be a permanent fix as far as this season is. We don't know if we're, they're going to be able to keep up this level of intensity all year long. It seems to me that that kind of an adrenaline high can't be maintained long term, and eventually they are going to run out of steam. But 
that's only speculation on my part. I don't know how just how I don't know how just dead these team these players were and just how willing they are to push themselves to their limits. I I guess I guess you could say that as the longer they push their limits, the longer their limits actually get. So that's one way of looking at it. I don't know if it works that way in the NFL, but it's it was very clear and abundantly so that anybody who said that they didn't look any different uh, and there were a few who actually thought they looked like the same dolphins and I just kind of questioned whether they're blind like legally blind and they actually need like a CGI dog or something because yeah, these were not insane. the same dolphins these were not the same dolphins in any in any way shape or form these the only thing that was the same is that the the backs of the jerseys were the same you saw fire you saw passion you saw physicality unlike any other you basically saw the undoing of three years of Joe Philbin in one in one fell swoop Dan Campbell I it, it amazes me that Dan Campbell sat back this whole this whole time he was under Joe Philbin's uh control and I guess what he did essentially was he took notes of what Philbin did and basically put them under the Here's what not to do if you're an NFL head coach. That in itself is very reminiscent of a coach who knows what he's doing, who knows exactly what his vision is, and he seems to have a plan. This is what this is, and this is another point that I'm going to make. Rashard Matthews, you you guys saw the report earlier earlier yesterday that we found out yesterday that even when Philbin was around, he would go and throw Dan Campbell out there and try to pump them up that way. So essentially, Philbin tried to get his team hyped up by remote control, which is a very, very sad way of coaching anything. That just makes me wonder, what were you, what was Philbin doing while Campbell was trying to get the team to actually play for him? I, I don't know what he was doing. I don't know where he was. It, it, it baffles me to think that you're not even going to make the attempt. I guess I guess you could say that that's his way of acknowledging I'm not a I'm not so much of a motivator. And I'm just going to throw somebody out there who is. But if you're, if you are not a motivator, like if you don't even have the basic skills, you need to have some kind of a personality to be a head coach. Joe Philbin did not have a personality. He had, he had one speech for every single win. It was always the same speech. It was very rehearsed. You see, I'm pretty sure that there were flashcards. I, I think that was uh, it was uh, Philbin who had the flashcards while Ponte made flashcards for him or something like that. And that you you saw everything opposite in Dan Campbell, and you can see the results. This team needed somebody who was willing to push them, to make them the best that they could be, to work around who they were as individuals and not try to fit the square peg into the round hole. And against the Titans, who – their record does not indicate it, but they actually are better than advertised. They had a top 10 defense in the league up before that game. And Marcus Mariota isn't exactly a slouch. He's not great, but he's not terrible either. I know that he got his knee messed up by Vernon, and we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. But these, we act like the Titans were a horrible team, and they were not even considered worthy of looking at. The Titans aren't a slouch. Their record doesn't indicate that, but they aren't a slouch. So I take this as a very good step forward, and hopefully against the Texans that are banged up and they are, they're looking to find some kind of life, I'm hoping the Dolphins can take advantage of it because Dan Campbell is making it a point to say, I don't want these guys to get complacent. I want to make sure that they're motivated constantly.
I'm tired of watching these guys out. lose to the Houston Texans. So that's something I'm excited to see too. Uh, the thing you brought up, and, and we can we've talked about it so many times. We'll continue to talk about it. Joe Philbin never should have been coaching this team, in my opinion. I think that much is clear. Uh, he can go back to preparing Green Bay's offense or whatever in the hell it was he did while he was there previously. I don't mean to be so so curt about about his time in Miami, but it was an absolute disgrace. And it, what happened last Sunday validates so pretty much everything we suspected about that guy. Didn't have control of the locker room. From what I can tell, didn't have the full respect of his players. Uh, was inflexible. Uh, you mentioned his inability to motivate. There are times where I suspected he just woke up from a nap and then just walked out and coached the game. He's like, oh, what are, what are we doing again? And if you're sending out other guys to motivate the team and you're the head coach, and it's not because you think that guy has a special flavor or something that he really brings to those rah-rah type moments, but instead it's just because you simply suck as a, a motivator and a public speaker, I've got issues with that. Why in the hell was this guy in that position for as long as he was? Now I'm getting angry because the writing was on the wall almost immediately with these guys. It's not like a bunch of stuff was just unsheathed recently and we were like, oh, I had no idea. We knew from the get-go pretty much that this guy was, he proved himself his first season. He was incredibly boring. He proved in that first Jets game that he was not a good in-game manager, something that he proceeded to prove time and time again as a, as a head coach of this team. He proved that, like I said, couldn't control the locker room, did not understand what was going on in the locker room, and from what I can tell, really didn't care what was going on in that locker room. The fact that they told, I mean, I don't know the extent of what happened with all the bullying crap, and we haven't really talked too much about that. I don't know. But if there was any sort of problem in the locker room or something going on, you can bet your ass that any other head coach in the league worth his salt would know what was going on and would stamp it out before it became a problem. Instead, he's walking around like, what? I had no idea. Huge red flag right there. One of many, I'm sorry, but good riddance. Never liked him in Miami. Never thought he was the right guy. And we gave him 11 billion chances to go ahead and rectify the situation. He was asleep at the wheel the entire time. And refused to hold his uh, the other people on that coaching staff accountable. Mike Sherman would still be here had, had the Dolphins not pretty much said, look, it's either him or everyone. And I'm not saying that Laser's an incredible upgrade in that in that regard, depending on how you feel about him. I think that with Campbell, uh, there's going to be more flexibility in terms of what Laser can do, and I hope to see that over the, the next coming weeks. But Kevin Coyle would still be here, with Phil, regardless of the fact that you had everyone from Indomitian Sioux to everyone else either just coming out and saying they didn't like it, simply intimating that they were not comfortable with the system they were playing in. And the mark of any bad coach is a guy who doesn't play to his personal strength. The mark of anyone in life who is bad at what they do is someone who doesn't play to their strengths or the strengths of their staff, their personnel, whatever it is they oversee. 
If you can't do that, you shouldn't be doing your job. You shouldn't be there. And it took so long for Ross to pull the trigger on this, which just annoys the living crap out of me. Because, I mean, now we're, we're almost halfway through the season. We will be in a few weeks. And you've got this team, which is clearly talented as all get out on both sides of the ball. And it, they're already saying, well, it might be a wasted season. Why? The reason for that is because they left Philbin in there too long when he should have been out of there January 2014 when they gave Ireland the boot and they also for, forced uh, Mike Sherman to walk the plank. It should have been everyone. Should have just gone ahead and just, in terms of the coaching staff, burn it down and find the best candidate for one. This team has such an incredible uh, talent for hiring these offensive coordinators who should not be head coaches. I'm looking at Can Cameron, too. I understand there's a stretch because Ross wasn't the one uh, with um, who was uh, getting all buddy-buddy with Cam Cameron. The point is, though, that Joe Philbin should never have been a head coach in this league. Wasn't even calling the plays in Green Bay. The fact that they had to go ahead and craft some sort of response to what does he do with the Packers should have been the red flag that just closed the situation down as is. I have no idea why we hired that guy. And I understand that at that time there was an, a terrible tragedy that happened to him, and I felt sick for him at the time, and I still do. I mean, that part of it, I mean, the human element, you have to respect that. But he should not have been the head coach. He's not a rah-rah guy. He's not someone who, in my opinion, can communicate with his players effectively, consistently, and over the long term. So he's gone. Can Dan Campbell do that? I don't know. But seeing as how they came out on Thursday or last Sunday, I'm certainly willing to give him the benefit of the doubt right now. Uh, we'll go ahead and discuss a lot of things more. We've already got a caller. I suspect that. Whoa, never mind. Uh, so that was static calling in. Um, we'll go ahead and uh, if that person can go ahead and uh, give us a call back when uh, it doesn't sound like there's a, a microphone being dropped into a bathtub, then uh, we'll go ahead and talk to him too. Um, so do you guys think that this can this can become a sort of vehicle that gets the Dolphins to the playoffs? Because the AFC as of right now is wide open. It could very well become that kind of a platform because you you know the thing with Philbin is that he always acted like he was the smartest person in the room, and that yeah. kind of a personality is never going to fly with anybody. Now that makes now you have Dan Campbell, who is you know just by listening to him talk that he is not the smartest guy in the room, at least football wise. He doesn't know his X's and O's. But the thing about it is is that he willingly acknowledges that he does not know how a lot of this stuff works. And he puts himself around people that he trusts who do know all that stuff that he doesn't know. And he basically says, look, I'm going to do my thing and you guys do your thing. That in and of itself makes Campbell smarter than pretty much everybody in the organization because he knows his shortcomings. He knows who he has to go to in order to fix them, and that tells me that Campbell is a very smart man. He could be an NFL head coach, but 
the problem is that nobody's going to want to listen to it because he doesn't know all his X's and O's stuff. This, I said it on my show last night. Dan Campbell essentially is a burlier version of Tony Sperano. He's not a, he's not a football genius. He needs people around him who knows what they're doing in order to help him. But what he can do is make sure that his players are focused and know what's going on. And thing that has helped already, you can tell in the long, in the short term, it could very well help in the long run, but it has to actually translate on the football field. I, there were a bunch of times, a bunch of instances during the Titans game where I saw a referee talking to Rizzi as opposed to Campbell, as if the referee knew that Campbell was essentially just a figurehead and it was really Rizzi who was doing all the strategy and all the X's and O's stuff that everybody loves so much. Campbell is just the guy who's essentially a representation of the players. Like, all right, guys, here we go. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And now we're just going to go out there and execute. Like, no no boring fluff. No, I'm going to do things my way or you can go hit the highway. It, Campbell is willing to treat these guys like he's one of them. And essentially, he is one of them. He's, he's basically – he is – kind of what he's kind of the reverse of Peyton Manning where Peyton Manning is a coach on the football field. Dan Campbell is a player on the coaching staff and that resonates with the, the, the players themselves. So if Campbell can manage to keep somebody like Rizzi around and then keep laser and keep all these guys, or well, even if you don't want to use laser, just bring in somebody who knows what's doing, somebody who's proven to be a good offensive coordinator and can work with the players around him and not try to put the square peg in the round hole. Thank you very much. If, if Campbell can keep somebody like that around, then he can definitely succeed as a head coach. But if you try to throw him out there solo and tell him, look, you're going to do it all. You're going to be in charge and we're going to follow your lead and only your lead. Then it won't work because that would mean that he does need to know his X's and O's. He does need to know all the strategies and all that stuff. It's not going to be as simple as, look, here's what I want. Can you guys make it work? That's what Campbell is doing. Philbin took everything and said, let's go and do it. I don't care what anybody else has to say. Campbell needs help. That I'm not going to try and argue against because if you try to throw him out there by himself, he will fail. Let's go to Miami. Literally Dade County. Who are we talking with? Ah, this is John QS. Hey, buddy, how, how's it going? Good. I just, I, you know what? I, I really think he, he hit the nail on the head. You know, with the uh, whole analogy of Peyton Manning being a coach with the players and Campbell being a, a player with the coaches. And uh, you know, you go ahead and look at it around the league. How many, how many coaches who are absolute gurus are, you know booming as head coaches. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if that's a rhetorical question, but uh, I, well, I know I mean, that like, we've, had, we, we've had gurus in here before, and it hasn't really worked out. So, I well, mean, there has to be some sort this. of... But, Think about Josh McDaniels and what he did in Denver <clears throat> and how he is as an offensive coordinator opposed to a head coach. Okay. He's a great you, you offensive mean, coordinator. I would say, like, if you're talking about his success as an offensive coordinator, though, 
I think that there's two elements here that I, I would tag on to what you're saying. Number one is the fact that some of these guys just aren't good multitaskers. I think that when you go ahead and you bring someone on who's very good at what they do in their area of the game, like Josh McDaniels, I like to call him Josh Mishandles because of everything that happens <laughs> in Denver. But um, I stole that from someone else. That's not mine. Uh, but, I mean, a, a strong offensive mind, but you put them into a situation where you, you're handling the personnel, your attitude uh, really is something that's supposed to permeate through the team and come out and produce results on the football field. You're supposed to be kind of like, you know, when they talked about how Don Shula could see everything on the practice field, even if he was at one end of it. I mean, that's an extreme example, but someone who, who really gets the entire picture. And the other thing that Josh McDaniels has done well when he's an offensive coordinator is he plays to his personal strengths, which is something we were talking about earlier. He's not trying – we always use the square peg in a round hole uh, analogy, but it's really true that, I mean, why are you forcing certain things when you know that it's not going to work or you know that it's not an area of comfort with your roster. If you want to go ahead and try to challenge people and you want to challenge them to do more, that's fine. But can you really ever say that with the Philbin regime that they were working to their strengths and they were able to better the personnel that they had? I really can't. Sometimes I can it feels like they were guys. working against their strengths. <laughs> totally. I totally agree. And that sucks because it's not like he was here for a year. You're talking about a guy who's been there, Ryan Tannehill's entire career, Olivier Vernon's entire career, and, and guys that you've had in there since. Now, we have some good coaches on the staff. I'm not as down on Bill Lazor as some other people. I thought the game he called uh, last Sunday was excellent. And I don't know. And it seemed like that offense was taking more chances. Now, I don't know if that's a one-time thing. I don't know if that it just worked out that way or if it's a – if it's an indictment of the kind of control that Philbin um, demonstrated over that offense, or I guess you'd say restraint, I'm not sure. But I, we are, in my opinion, and I feel like it's coming close to the fact, we are so much better off with these guys. I would be shocked if Joe Philbin coached somewhere else. Notice that Cam Cameron hasn't coached anywhere else. He's been an offensive coordinator uh, both in the pros and college since then. He shouldn't have been a head coach. This guy shouldn't have been a head coach either. And at least Cam Cameron was a guru. So, like I said, Tilden wasn't calling the plays. And I never really thought that, I mean, if you're a guru, what do you bring into the table? I never thought that any sort of offensive acumen that he brought to Miami came out on the field. And it's not like Ryan Tannehill is a meat and potatoes quarterback. The guy runs a four think, six. Go ahead. I would. I, I think Ryan Tannehill has suffered. You know, his play, his ability to be seen as a greater quarterback than what is displayed for him, has been hampered by the Philbin regime. Uh, I was listening to another show today, and uh, another guy came on and was saying that we'd never win a Super Bowl with Tannehill. I felt like that wasn't fair, and. I try to make yeah, the analogy lame. that, you know, or not the analogy, but that Trent Dilfer won with the Ravens. Why can't we win with Tannehill? Well, you know, Russell Wilson's not looking so good right now. All of a sudden, his offensive Don't line is Don't say that. People good. get mad. Oh, I'm, I'll say it. Call me. Call, call me in the studio right now. 
347-326-9461. Tell me about how awesome Russell Wilson looks right now. And I will point to the stats, and I will say he does not. He just lost at home at the one place that people claimed he could never lose. Should have lost there against Detroit, too, had the refs not bailed him out of that game. Well, and Calvin Johnson, you know, technically he can't pass the ball out of the end zone, though. So, <laughs> we but, shouldn't but, get started about statistics, especially with Tannehill. You know that Tom Brady, he, he only threw about 183 more yards and six more touchdowns than Tannehill did last year, and everyone, you know, Everyone in the league's high on Brady. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure why Ryan Tannehill continues to just take a beating from some people. But let's go ahead and we'll go back to Russell Wilson because first of all, I really want to troll all the people who like to sit on the fence of this issue. And number two, it's totally valid. Notice now that his offensive line is not very good. I watched that game on Sunday, and he took a beating. And it seems that people are now hip to that move where they have that sort of. Uh, when he delays back into the pocket, then he's able to escape up the middle. Carolina had somebody waiting for him every time. Could have been a linebacker, could have been a, a defensive tackle who was really just sort of pl- almost doing an inside contain on him, looking for him to come through that hole. The fact is, is he's got plenty of weapons there, but the offensive line's not very good. Suddenly that Legion of Boom doesn't look so awesome. That Greg Olson touchdown was an awful thing to give up and really something that in the past has been beneath them. Now he's not looking so awesome. And he's won a Super Bowl. And I think he's a very good quarterback. I think he's an outstanding athlete. I think he's a really smart guy uh, under center. But Ryan Tannehill is all those things too. I think that Ryan Tannehill, as long as he doesn't have his confidence broken by the the Philbin regime, and let's be honest, do you really think that a quarterback long-term could ever come through a Philbin system and and actually endure and grow and develop into a, a real like a a top shelf quarterback. I don't think so. And what even is the Philbin Rogers, system? That's the problem. What is the Philbin system? The, there is no Philbin system, but it's the Philbin <laughs> regime. What we have so like look, look look Green Bay. Look we were at told Andy it was Dole. So awesome. Look at Andy Dalton in Cincinnati with his, you know, his supporting cast and the way that they're coaching in in Cincinnati right now. He looks like the MVP right now. <laughs> yeah, he is putting up an incredible numbers. He's playing really well. And I mean, you always heard the same stuff about Andy Dalton. You know, uh, poor arm strength. Uh, really, a guy who will fold, especially late in the season, sucks in the playoffs. I don't know what will happen in the playoffs this year. But I do know that Cincinnati is playing to that guy's strengths, and he looks really good. I mean, it's something you're going to have mean, to see over an entire season. I think it it escapes people sometimes. You know, you look at A.J. Green, Muhammad Sanu, Marvin Jones, Jeremy Hill, Giovanni Bernard. <laughs> Tyler Eifert. That is uh, – that, and Tyler Eifert. He was – I mean, he, he's been dominating. That's a plethora of weapons, a plethora. Yeah. Yeah, and that backfield is just insane that they go. And they've got a good offensive line, too. You know, there's there's no the reason best. for those guys to falter on offense. You know, there's just no reason for those guys to go ahead and take a step back this year. And, I mean, they've looked great. I understand that they really uh, – they should have lost that game to Seattle, but they didn't. They went and they put it together, and those are some games that they can get away from you. That one didn't. I thought that was incredibly impressive. But I – 
to get back to your Tannehill point, I totally disagree with people who say he, that guy can't win a quarterback. Why can't? Why couldn't he? I think that it, in a race in the right system, I think with the right tutelage, and I mean, I like to think that he's got something good with Bill Lazor going on. We'll see, because if he doesn't, I mean, this will be Lazor's last year. Uh, I, I don't see why not. I mean, when when Philbin came here, everyone's like, "Well, he's a this is a West Coast offense." Well, great. So it's kind of like what the Packers do, or and then we never got an answer on that, and then we got Legadu Nane instead. So, I mean, I I don't know, but the way that defense played the other day, and I understand they're going up against a rookie quarterback who whom eventually was hurt and had to leave the game. The defense looked better. The offensive line looked better, and you noticed for once that we have an answer where who's playing right guard? Billy Turner. We're going with Billy Turner. Okay. Sounds great. Wow, that was so incredibly hard that you guys had to sit there and waffle on this. <laughs> That's what you got to do. when you're, You can't just go ahead and plug and play your personnel on the offensive line. You, and if you are doing that with someone, they better be an incredible talent. It didn't even work for Mike Pouncey when they tried to kick him over to right guard. I wasn't a fan of that, that change. I don't think he liked it either. He's always wanted to play center anyways. But you're doing it to He did okay. Kids. He did okay, but you're right. He's a center. Yeah, definitely a center. And I just – I never understood – like, oh, let's go ahead and let's flip Dallas Thomas over. Let's, let's use him at tackle. Let's use him at the other tackle. Let's use him at the guard spot. Stop. These guys are – you're talking about guys who are in their early 20s, early to mid-20s, uh, still learning the game, trying to learn the game at the NFL level. They need some consistency in what they're doing. You're looking for consistency from them. They're looking for some consistency in what you're offering them. So going ahead and tooling these guys around on the offensive line was a horrible call. So I love the fact that who's that right guard? Billy Turner. Okay. Sounds great. Let's go. And now you, and you have a renewed faith in Jameel Douglas, it seems. So you'll see that... I mean, regardless of the talent level of the personnel, I guarantee you it will play better because you're giving them consistency. You're giving them a point of reference uh, to which they can see every day instead of wondering where they're going to end up because that just doesn't work. In fact, that's really lame. That's probably one of the things that pissed me off most about what uh, Philbin and crew did, and I'll never understand that. Um, You said your name's John, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take another call, but I feel like we're having a pretty good discussion with you, so I'm going to leave you on, if you don't mind. Plus, we lost Duke, so we need our third yep. musketeer. So if you want to stay on for a second, or absolutely, if you, you want to absolutely. go to All right, we're going to take one more call. Uh, I don't recognize this area code, but um, hopefully it's not a bunch you of never, when they come through. Call, call never you never recognize my area code. Well, it's because it always changes. <clears throat> I don't Everybody. know what it is, man. This is a Dolphin fan for life. Uh, you um, you just missed Duke. I don't know what happened. I think he was having maybe some connection problems, or I'm not sure. I was having a hard time hearing him. So uh, what did you think of that game on Sunday? I mean, did you expect them to come out like that, or did that surprise you? I didn't I expect very much. Go ahead. You know, you go ahead. You go ahead. You bet. I, I didn't expect Cameron Wake to go off with four sacks and a quarter, but I did accept, expect some intensity. Um, 
I really did expect them to go with the ground and pound a lot. He said they were going to do it, but I I didn't think the offensive line was going to do so well. You know, that was I mean, the, the most pleasant surprise of the game, in my opinion. Because you're going against a defensive front that is pretty good, especially uh, inside. They've got some good players in there. So for that to happen was a pleasant surprise. And hopefully something, because if you're looking for more from Ryan Tannehill and you're looking for more from this offense and from the running game, you need that. You're going to need that offensive line. And they're up to the task on Sunday, and I hope that continues because it's about to get a lot more difficult when they, they see J.J. Watt this Sunday. Yeah, J.J. Watt's just one guy, though. You know what I mean? Well, I, would, I would agree with that. I just don't want him to but, go ahead and dis- disrupt the entire game plan. That's something that I'm, of course, a little bit leery of. Um, well, another question I have is, what did you think of Lamar Miller? Just a total validation of the, the previous regime's ineptitude when it came to understanding the importance of the ground game? Does he just care now? What do you think? I think he played up to his coach's expectations. I think, you know, they put a lot of faith in him. Said, we're going to hand you the ball like 20 times this game. We want you to deliver. And he did. I think that was the biggest problem with the last regime is they really didn't have enough faith. Oh, well, yada, yada. Lamar Miller's more of a finesse player. We shouldn't run him up the middle. Let's run him to the outside. And when we run him up the middle, let's go ahead and stick somebody else in there. I think really the biggest reason why he showed up like he did was because the coach absolutely said, you know what, I've got faith in you. We're going to stick it into you. We're going to go ahead and let you run up the middle, around the edges, do whatever you need to do to get your yards, but we have complete faith in you. And that's what happened, and he answered the call. I knew he had it in him because we've seen him run some explosive plays before, but it's just, you know, it seemed like everybody thought he was a carton of eggs at first. You know, don't run him up the middle. He's not going to do anything. Okay, look at what he did this time. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Philbin thought he was a, yeah. a Philbin thought he was a power back. You know, shotgun draw plays every every run play. That was it. That's what we had. Yeah, and we saw how well that worked too. I mean, you can just go ahead and drop whatever example you want in terms of how bad those coaches were. I've always I've always made it clear that I wasn't a fan of the previous regime. I was happy to see him go. Uh, regardless of what happens going forward, I know we'll be in better hands. I don't think we could have been in worse hands. I realize that's a pretty steep thing to say, but I said it. So And look what you look look what you said with, with that. We couldn't have been worse, but we still came out average. So what what are we gonna yeah. do with somewhat better coaching? Well, hopefully I don't here's the thing. I don't know I mean it would be great to see some sort of Cinderella story, in which case Dan Campbell becomes, like, the guy, just like Todd Bowles probably should have been the guy after the 2011 season when that defense really ramped it up. Um, 
And we, we were last week we were talking about some candidates we'd like to see at head coach. I have no idea at this point. I was impressed by what Dan Campbell did. I'd like to see more of it. And if he does, then maybe the, the impossible happens and he becomes a head coach for these guys. I don't know. I can't rule that out. But you're right that the personnel on this team is good enough that they could still look pretty decent in spite of the lack of direction, lack of, of coaching acumen, lack of effectiveness that came from that coaching staff. I think that Ryan Tannehill is a better quarterback than what we've seen. I think that he is a franchise guy. Um, and really coming up here, he might be in a position where he can show up as much. I think Lamar Miller is far better than how he looked earlier this season, as proven by the fact that he ran all over the Titans on Sunday. Um, and you saw it, and one of the first things that came from the change, Kenny Stills, more of a factor in the game. Funny how that works. Why Why you continue to go to Greg Jennings? I don't know. Get Kenny Stills in there? Huh. Suddenly that speed becomes a problem. Get him out on the perimeter, and it just be, just becomes a, a factor. It's able to go ahead um, creates more of a cushion, uh, stretches that defense, just allows, especially if the Dolphins want to work underneath as, as much as they have, getting guys like Stills out there, uh, big deal. And I hope this, um, I'm hoping this trickles down and you really see a lot from uh, Devontae Parker too. Because Philbin and the whole not playing rookies thing, I mean, you could go ahead and just throw that in the garbage too. Wasn't a fan of that. Especially if you, well, if you don't have better better options. Well, with, with Devontae Parker, you know, if the offense can continue this this effort, you know, you can just continue to work Parker in in packages. I, I don't think at this point with Jarvis playing the way he plays all, all the time, Richard Matthews playing at his level and Kenny Stills playing very well, you know, the need for Devontae Parker isn't exactly there. Yeah, let's be that's, fair here. That's um, true. Even Dan Campbell, even Dan Campbell said that, um, he's gonna if Parker wants more playing time, he's gonna have to try and beat out Richard or somebody like that to get the spot. So his consistency well, is off, said, and even I Campbell will want to it. So yeah, that's why I said that you're hoping this trickles down to him. Uh, what um, one thing I do want to bring up that just it came up briefly there, and it's really worth talking about right now is Richard Matthews, uh, close to world right now. That guy is just, he's making plays. He is all over the field. He, right now, is a matchup nightmare. He's just causing problems for guys. And it really helps when you got, when you got Jarvis Landry going off, too. That duo has become mighty, mighty prolific this season. So here's the question that's been on my mind. I saw, uh, I saw um, somebody was arguing with Ian Wharton about this. And I was just kind of sitting back and, and laughing because I like Ian Wharton. I like the stuff that he I, – I love his analysis. I love reading his stuff. And he had somebody who was arguing with him, and I was just like, Is really, can't Kaufman? you find somebody else? Was it who? Chris Kaufman, C.K. Parrott. Oh, from uh, – it might have been. I don't know. I don't really care about about that part of it. I didn't, I didn't see who it was. But they were saying that one side of it is, is Richard Matthews doing really well because of Ryan Tannehill. Or is Richard Matthews just magically in year four just a, a top flight receiver option? So what do you guys think? Do you think that Richard all of a sudden gets it? 
or do you think that now he's just in a position where he's getting more opportunities and we're making more use of the skill set that he apparently I think had the more of an indictment on Philbin than anything else all over again. I, I, you could, I, you could tell. From... Uh, we lost the uh, angry Lewis. The cell phone couldn't handle his rage. He'll be back. Uh, you guys want to go ahead and you guys want to go could, ahead and chime in on this? Here we're all high on Tannehill here, but on another note, Rashard Matthews is is going over the middle, taking the hits to get the catch, the first down catch. He's driving. You know, he drives his feet when he catches the ball. When he gets tackled, he's not stopping. You know, he, <clears throat> that's what you need out of your receiver, not a you know catch the ball, drop to the ground, whatever. Oh, I'm going to get hit, so I'm not going to catch this ball. I think Richard yeah. Matthews is one of the things Philbin did right by challenging him and telling him he's going to have to earn his spot. I don't think oh. if he didn't have to earn his spot, he wouldn't be playing like this. The guy was a seventh-round pick, and he felt entitled because of the length of time that he was here that he was going to magically move up the death chart because we got rid of Wallace, because we got rid of you know, Gibson, because we got rid of Hartline. He said, I'm next in line. And Philbin said, no, you're still going to have to earn it. I think if he did not get told that he was going to have to earn it, he would not be playing as hard as he did. That's one thing I do have to give credit to Philbin for. And, I mean, I might be in the minority here, but at the same time, I, I think really... You know, he just <clears throat> I didn't see this type of effort from him last year. Uh, he he, he not played to, well not in limited done. action. He's played he well but that. did not have that fire, that that desire that he had before. It was just kinda like la da 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 big man on campus. You know I I agree with all of you, but I'll, I'm going to offer up a different take on it a little bit. I think one guy who deserves some credit, at least, for Richard Matthews' sort of, I guess we'll call it an arrival, is Jarvis Landry. Because I think they have similar similar skill sets, and I think that Richard Matthews seeing how... Because you'll notice that all of a sudden, Richard Matthews really likes doing that dirty work over the middle, the kind of stuff that Jarvis Landry is more than okay with doing as well. All of a sudden, that Richard Matthews has become. I, I mean, I always thought he was a decent route runner, but I've seen him. I've seen him run some routes this year that look outstanding. He's just become a sharp route runner. He tempos everything really well. He's in and out of his breaks. He's hard to defend, and I think that I, he picked up a trick or two from Jarvis. I think those guys have become an incredible duo, just real weapons for Ryan Tannehill, and it's just a real surprise too because I remember way back when when the Dolphins drafted uh, Richard Matthews out of Nevada. And Kevin and I were arguing on air because I thought that this guy was going to end up being a pretty good receiver for us, and Kevin thought he was just like camp fodder, um, which it looked like it might have been at that point. And I just thought, like, I don't know, this guy's just got just some skills that you really, like, we didn't have in our receiver court at that point, especially uh, in fall 2012 when our best receiver was Brian Hartline. So I think that I, it might have it might have stoked a fire under him, what Philbin did. I'm not, that's a really interesting take on it. I have not until now heard that. So that's pretty pretty cool. 
But I think that playing with Jarvis helps. I think Ryan Tannehill and Rashard Matthews are a natural mesh. It seems like that's the, the closest we've gotten. And he and Ryan Tannehill and Jarvis have it too. But that kind of thing where you can tell they're just they read each other well. Those guys, there's just that. I mean, whatever that telepathy that you you see between uh, quarterbacks and their best receivers, and how they really just seem to understand each other and they communicate well. I see that with Ryan Tannehill and Richard Matthews, just like I see it with Tannehill and Jarvis Landry. So the fact that we have it with two receivers is outstanding at this point, and you can tell that it's starting to build up with Jordan Cameron too, which is extremely uh, exciting. To a degree. They still have some issues that they need to work out between Cameron and, and Tannehill. Those drop passes that led to interceptions or the bounce passes that led to interceptions. I mean, I watched the game. I recorded it. I, I looked over it. And both interceptions, it seemed like Cameron was in a position to make a play. You know, Tannehill's going to get the blame, but it just seems like there was a little bit more. You got to hold on to that, you know, to the story. Yeah. Yep. That could dwindle down to communication. As far and as Rashard Matthews goes, they, they've been in the league together ever since they were drafted in the same year. I mean, you got to understand Tannehill wasn't supposed to be our starter in practice, he was up until the mysterious foot injury to Gerard. He was practicing with with Richard Matthews. He was practicing with the other guy we drafted in the sixth round. I forget his name, but you know that connection was built from the beginning. <clears throat> we just happened to drop him down the death chart when we picked up Wallace, and we picked up. Gibson. Do you, th- do you think he Maybe should be I, uh... I, I might stand alone on this, and I, I don't want to jump topic. But just, I had a question for you guys. I might stand sure. alone on this, but do does anyone else ever wonder how good the tandem of Brandon Marshall and Tannehill could have been? No. Oh. <laughs> Am I on? No. Yeah, you are. I was, you, a, you I was a big proponent of. I was a big proponent of Marshall. Okay. I think I think he would have ruined Tannehill from the beginning because he, he like Marshall has a tendency of either making or breaking his QBs and it, it just yeah and when he's on the team the team is his team he wouldn't have given up control to Tannehill which is something that Tannehill really needed from the jump if he was supposed to be our next Dan Marino or our first Ryan Tannehill he couldn't handle a guy like Marshall who was pretty much the captain of the team well I'll I'll throw this I'll throw this wrench out there for that if if he can't lead his wide receiver, how is he going to lead a team? I mean, listen, Brandon Marshall listened to Jay Cutler. He, you know, now he has Chad Henney and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Of course he's going to run over guys like Thank that. Those you. journeymen. Those. There's quite the love fest going on between Brandon Marshall and Ryan Fitzpatrick right now, which, I mean, I, I live in the Chicago area, so 
Uh, this is something I've seen time and time again where people are like, oh, things are just so great between the quarterback and Brandon Marshall, and you just say, ah, give it time. But it's interesting that I never really thought about uh, Tannehill throwing passes to Brandon Marshall. So, I mean, that's that's really interesting. It never, ever crossed my mind once. Just he made Henny look great just... at times. Uh, what are you talking about? Chad Henny was so awesome. So hey, hi. Oh boy. Okay. Can I can I can, can I talk now? Oh my god, can I talk now? Jeez, yeah. If the phone can handle it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I am so yeah. I, I am so angry right now. Oh. Okay. First and foremost. First and foremost, Richard Matthews. I don't believe for a moment that it's all of a sudden. I think Richard Matthews always had this in him. I saw many signs of it whenever he did get a chance to play, which was not often because this was another case of Joe Philbin not liking any sort of attitude whatsoever, which is what led to Reggie Bush and Brandon Marshall and Vontae Davis and all those guys getting booted out of Miami because they didn't get along with him. And I don't know how Richard Matthews managed to last this long. I guess he was... I guess everybody was like, no, keep this guy because at least he's cheap. Richard Matthews always had this capability. I would have rather had Richard Matthews over Brandon Gibson the year before. I would have had Richard Matthews over Brian Hartline the year before. And if, if anybody going to ask me, I think Richard Matthews should have been playing a long time ago. Philbin just has issues with anybody who shows any kind of non-sheep-like attitude. Now, on to Brandon Marshall. Like uh, like uh, John said, who were his who were Marshall's QBs? You had Jay Cutler, who is bleh. you had Chad Henney. We no, I take it back. You had Chad Pennington for one year, which was okay, good year. And then you bring in Chad Henney because Pennington got hurt. Chad Henney was bleh. and then he got a, a, he got upset and rightfully so. It's Chad Henney throwing the football. He went back to Cutler, was okay for a little while. And then Cutler started to suck, so of course he's upset again. Because once again, his quarterback has fallen apart. And I don't think it's a coincidence. And I don't think it's just because Marshall showed up. Because it's not like Marshall goes someplace and suddenly they're horrible. Cutler was uh, Cutler has been on a downside all the way even now, and Marshall's not there anymore. And now you have Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I don't know how Marshall's managing to keep his stump together. I guess it's because Chris Ivory is running roughshod all over all over his opponents so that Fitzpatrick doesn't have to work that hard to throw the football. So if Ryan Tannehill had Brandon Marshall, I can only imagine how awesome that kind of a connection would be because if you can see, if you could see what Tannehill was able to do when Mike Wallace was around, who I think is even more of a malcontent, then I think that this wide receiver core would be incredible and Brandon Marshall would finally have a quarterback who he could count on to make him a true number one wide receiver. I feel sorry for Brandon Marshall in that regard because he's never had a quarterback that you could really look at and say, now that is going to work. Let's probably go to the playoffs. It works if you give him the targets. It works if you give him the targets. When Brandon Marshall becomes malcontent. No, because, I mean, he hasn't really been like a playoff caliber wide receiver except for maybe he's one or two times in his career. You know, he's never played he's, in the playoffs, he, Brandon Marshall. Brandon, Brandon Marshall is happiest when he's getting his targets, when he's getting his thousand yards, when he's getting the stats that will grant him the next big contract. If he's not getting those stats, that's when you start hearing the 
Well, they should just throw the ball. He has Des Bryant fever. You know, give me the ball. Give me the ball. And, yeah, I understand. He's the best receiver on our team. Go ahead. You know, throw him the ball. But in this offense, it would not work because you cannot guarantee 120 passes thrown his way. Can you if give me any? Led. Can you give me any instance? Brandon Marshall was upset after a victory, because I can already think of Mike Wallace ones all over the place, but I can't think of one from Brandon Marshall days. <laughs> oh boy, I just want to. I'm going to cut into that just because uh, we got about four minutes left. It was an hour show. We have one more caller, so I'd like to get to that person if you guys don't mind. Mm-hmm. Is that all right with you? Uh, John, is all right if we let you go? Yeah, yeah, that's fine, guys. All right, thanks for joining us, and give us a call next week, too. Thank you, no problem. Good to hear from you. That was John from Dade County. I love Dade County. Uh, We got somebody else calling in. Uh, Caller, reveal yourself. Uh, How's it going? My name's uh, Chad. I'm from uh, the upper New York State area, actually near Buffalo. Oh, God, I thought you were going to say you're Chad Henney for a second. I I almost (laughs) had our feeling. No, 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 I'm not Chad Henney. Oh. I guess doing tonight. What's I just up? wanted to call and give my two cents about Earl Mitchell. Yeah, I really think they need to oh. give him the ball. Maybe maybe throw him the ball a little bit out of the backfield. I'd like to see him see the ball in his hands. Okay. And yep. just one more. And, uh, uh, yeah, it felt really good to see our our defensive line dominate last week. It's been a long time coming. I feel like. So you you're all in on Dan Campbell. You like him? I yeah, I do like Dan Campbell. Yeah, he just motivates the players. It, uh, were you a, were you a fan of the the Philbin regime? Uh, you know, at the beginning of the season, I can't lie. You know, I was still rooting for Joe. I was like, I felt I felt like he was going to come in and really make things happen with this team. Just you know, I guess from a, looking at the Cowboys last year on uh, Jason Garrett keeping them all keeping them along, they finally made the postseason. But uh, I thought yeah. Joe was going to do it. Do all right for us. But now I'm pretty excited about Dan Campbell. So. Me too. I don't know. Well, over for any, the Dolphins, I guess. Any, anything else you want to get out there? We got a, about one minute left, and then we're going to go into the end of our show. So, anything else on your mind? Uh, yeah, uh, play Jamar Taylor a little bit more. I had, I know Bryce McCain got hurt, but uh, I'd really like to see our our secondary with a, a good good cornerback starting opposite of uh, Brent Grimes. But yeah, that's it. Thank you, Austin. I'd like to see a little bit of lipid. All right, buddy. Uh, Chad, thanks for calling in, and uh, uh, we hope to hear back from you uh, sometime soon. Awesome. Thank you, Austin. All right. Have a good night. Interesting about Jamar Taylor. What do you guys think of that? We've got about a minute and 45 seconds left. Uh, Go. I'd love to see a little bit of lipid. I mean, he's got that size that just kind of, you know, begs the question, why not put him out there? The guy was a receiver. He was doing pretty good in training camp. You know, give him a shot. He flashed. He's not ready. He's too raw. Keep Jamar Taylor out there. Lippitt needs a year to cook. Lewis's phone has burn marks on it from him going all uh, beast mode hook of mania. That was good, though. I appreciated that. You even did the sound. I had steam coming out of my ears during that conversation. <laughs> like, you oh, my God, can I talk now? 
<laughs> I know. You kept, you kept asking if you're on. I'm like, I didn't turn your mic off. I only do that when I really don't want to listen to you. I'm, t- I'm totally kidding. I don't do that to you. Except when you're in the car and <laughs> you get the engine noise going. Uh, so, it's going to wrap up another fantastic edition of the show. I enjoyed this. I'm looking forward to when I can extend this to about an hour and a half again. And judging from our recent conversations, we're going to need to do that because she's got so much going on, especially now that this team actually looks like they might win some games. So yeah, for, it's starting uh, to look well, like I'm gonna. It's starting to look like I'm gonna have a rival in Dolphin fan for life because we get we we <laughs> seem to disagree on a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, you guys are brutal. All right, so um, for everyone, for Duke, Angry Lewis, Dolphin fan for life, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for listening to us. We'll talk to you again next Wednesday. Have a great night. You too. Good night. Good night, everyone. Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Lasercat t-shirts? Check. Get your back to school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back to school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play. Brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories. Like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0. Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.